chapter six of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter six bad events peep out of the tale of good purposes bartholomew fair it was not long before there was a visible improvement in the pages of the asineum the slashing part of that incomparable journal was suddenly conceived and carried on with a vigour and spirit which astonished the hallowed few who contributed to its circulation it was not difficult to see that a new soldier had been enlisted in the service there was something so fresh and hearty about the abuse that it could never have proceeded from the worn-out acerbity of an old slasher to be sure a little ignorance of ordinary facts and an innovating method of applying words to meanings which they never were meant to denote were now and then distinguishable in the criticisms of the new achilles nevertheless it was easy to attribute these peculiarities to an original turn of thinking and the rise of the paper on the appearance of a series of articles upon contemporary authors written by this eminent hand was so remarkable that fifty copies a number perfectly unprecedented in the annals of the asinium were absolutely sold in one week indeed remembering the principle on which it was founded one sturdy old writer declared that the journal would soon do for itself and become popular there was a remarkable peculiarity about the literary debutante who signed himself nobilitas he not only put old words to a new sense but he used words which had never among the general run of writers been used before this was especially remarkable in the application of hard names to authors once in censuring a popular writer for pleasing the public and thereby growing rich the eminent hand ended with he who surreptitiously accumulates bustle money is in fact nothing better than a buzz gloak pickpocket these enigmatical words and recondite phrases imparted a great air of learning to the style of the new critic and from the unintelligible sublimity of his diction it seemed doubtful whether he was a poet from highgate or a philosopher from Konigsberg. at all events the reviewer preserved his incognito and while his praises were rung at no less than three tea-tables even glory appeared to him less delicious than disguise in this incognito reader thou hast already discovered paul and now we have to delight thee with a piece of unexampled morality in the excellent mcgrawler that worthy mentor perceiving that there was an inherent turn for dissipation and extravagance in our hero resolved magnanimously rather to bring upon himself the sins of treachery and malappropriation than suffer his friend and former pupil to incur those of wastefulness and profusion contrary therefore to the agreement made with paul instead of giving that youth the half of those profits consequent on his brilliant lucubrations he imparted to him only one-fourth and with the utmost tenderness for paul's salvation applied the other three portions of the same to his own necessities 
the best actions are alas often misconstrued in this world and we are now about to record a remarkable instance of that melancholy truth one evening magrawler having moistened his virtue in the same manner that the great cato is said to have done in the confusion which such a process sometimes occasions in the best regulated heads gave paul what appeared to him the outline of a certain article which he wished to be slashingly filled up but what in reality was the following note from the editor of a monthly periodical sir understanding that my friend mr blank proprietor of the asinium allows the very distinguished writer whom you have introduced to the literary world and who signs himself nobilitas only five shillings an article i beg through you to tender him double that sum the article required will be of an ordinary length i am sir etc now that very morning magrawler had informed paul of this offer altering only from the amiable motives we have already explained the sum of ten shillings to that of four and no sooner did paul read the communication we have placed before the reader than instead of gratitude to magrawler for his consideration of paul's moral infirmities he conceived against that gentleman the most bitter resentment he did not however vent his feelings at once upon the scotsman indeed at that moment as the sage was in a deep sleep under the table it would have been to no purpose had he unbridled his indignation but he resolved without loss of time to quit the abode of the critic and indeed said he soliloquizing i am heartily tired of this life and shall be very glad to seek some other employment fortunately i have hoarded up five guineas and four shillings and with that independence in my possession since i have forsworn gambling i cannot easily starve to this soliloquy succeeded a misanthropical reverie upon the faithlessness of friends and the meditation ended in paul's making up a little bundle of such clothes etc as dummy had succeeded in removing from the mug and which paul had taken from the rag merchant's abode one morning when dummy was abroad when this easy task was concluded paul wrote a short and upbraiding note to his illustrious preceptor and left it unsealed on the table he then upsetting the ink-bottle on magrawler's sleeping countenance departed from the house and strolled away he cared not whither the evening was gradually closing as paul chewing the cud of his bitter fancies found himself on london bridge he paused there and leaning over the bridge gazed wistfully on the gloomy waters that rolled onward caring not a minnow for the numerous charming young ladies who have thought proper to drown themselves in those merciless waves thereby depriving many a good mistress of an excellent housemaid or an invaluable cook and many a treacherous phaeon of letters beginning with parjured villain and ending with your affectionate but melancholy molly while thus musing he was suddenly accosted by a gentleman in boots and spurs having a riding-whip in one hand and the other hand stuck in the pocket of his inexpressibles the hat of the gallant was gracefully and carefully put on so as to derange as little as possible a profusion of dark curls which streaming with unguents fell low not only on either side of the face but on the neck and even the shoulders of the owner the face was saturnine and strongly marked but handsome and striking 
there was a mixture of frippery and sternness in its expression something between madame vestries and t p cook or between lovely sally and a captain bold of halifax the stature of this personage was remarkably tall and his figure was stout muscular and well knit in fine to complete his portrait and give our readers of the present day an exact idea of this hero of the past we shall add that he was altogether that sort of gentleman one sees swaggering in the burlington arcade with his hair and hat on one side and a military cloak thrown over his shoulders or prowling in regent street towards the evening whiskered and cigarred laying his hand on the shoulder of our hero this gentleman said with an affected intonation of voice how dost my fine fellow long since i saw you damn but you look the worst for wear what hast thou been doing with thyself ha cried our hero returning the salutation of the stranger and is it long ned whom i behold i am indeed glad to meet you and i say my friend i hope what i heard of you is not true hist said long ned looking round fearfully and sinking his voice never talk of what you hear of gentlemen except you wish to bring them to their last dying speech and confession but come with me my lad there is a tavern hard by and we may as well discuss matters over a pint of wine you looked cursed seedy to be sure but i can tell bill the waiter famous fellow that bill that you are one of my tenants come to complain of my steward who has just distrained you for rent you dog no wonder you look so worn in the rigging come follow me i can't walk with thee it would look too like northumberland house and the butcher's abode next door taking a stroll together really mr pepper said our hero colouring and by no means pleased with the ingenious comparison of his friend if you are ashamed of my clothes which i own might be newer i will not wound you with my pooh my lad pooh cried long ned interrupting him never take offence i never do i never take anything but money except indeed watches i don't mean to hurt your feelings all of us have been poor once gad i remember when i had not a dud to my back and now you see me you see me paul but come tis only through the streets you need separate from me keep a little behind very little that will do ay that will do repeated long ned mutteringly to himself they'll take him for a bailiff it looks handsome nowadays to be so attended it shows one had credit once meanwhile paul though by no means pleased with the contempt expressed for his personal appearance by his lengthy associate and impressed with a keener sense than ever of the crimes of his coat and the vices of his other garment oh breathe not its name followed doggedly and sullenly the strutting steps of the coxcomical mr pepper that personage arrived at last at a small tavern and arresting a waiter who was running across the passage into the coffee-room with a dish of hung beef demanded no doubt from a pleasing anticipation of a similar pendulous catastrophe a plate of the same excellent cheer to be carried in company with a bottle of port into a private apartment no sooner did he find himself alone with paul than bursting into a loud laugh mr ned surveyed his comrade from head to foot through an eyeglass which he wore fastened to his buttonhole by a piece of blue ribbon 
well gad now said he stopping ever and anon as if to laugh the more heartily stab my vitals but you are a comical quiz i wonder what the women would say if they saw the dashing edward pepper esq walking arm in arm with thee at ranelagh or vauxhall nay man never be downcast if i laugh at thee it is only to make thee look a little merrier thyself why thou lookest like a book of my grandfather's called burton's anatomy of melancholy and faith a shabbier bound copy of it i never saw these jests are a little hard said paul struggling between anger and an attempt to smile and then recollecting his late literary occupations and the many extracts he had taken from gleanings of the belles lettres in order to impart elegance to his criticisms he threw out his hand theatrically and spouted with a solemn face of all the griefs that harass the distressed sure the most bitter is a scornful jest well now prithee forgive me said long ned composing his features and just tell me what you have been doing the last two months slashing and plastering said paul with conscious pride slashing and what the boy's mad what do you mean paul in other words said our hero speaking very slowly no oh very long ned that i have been critic to the asineum if paul's comrade laughed at first he now laughed ten times more merrily than ever he threw his full length of limb upon a neighbouring sofa and literally rolled with cachinatory convulsions nor did his risible emotion subside until the entrance of the hung beef restored him to recollection seeing then that a cloud lowered over paul's countenance he went up to him with something like gravity begged his pardon for his want of politeness and desired him to wash away all unkindness in a bumper of port paul whose excellent dispositions we have before had occasion to remark was not impervious to his friend's apologies he assured long ned that he quite forgave him for his ridicule of the high situation he paul had enjoyed in the literary world that it was the duty of a public censor to bear no malice and that he should be very glad to take his share in the interment of the hung beef the pair now sat down to their repast and paul who had fared but meagrely in that temple of athena over which magrawla presided did ample justice to the viands before him by degrees as he ate and drank his heart opened to his companion and laying aside that asineum dignity which he had at first thought it incumbent on him to assume he entertained pepper with all the particulars of the life he had lately passed he narrated to him his breach with dame lobkins his agreement with magrawler the glory he had acquired and the wrongs he had sustained and he concluded as now the second bottle made its appearance by stating his desire for exchanging for some more active profession that sedentary career which he had so promisingly begun this last part of paul's confession secretly delighted the soul of long ned for that experienced collector of the highways ned was indeed of no less noble a profession had long fixed an eye upon our hero as one whom he thought likely to be an honour to that enterprising calling which he espoused and an useful assistant to himself he had not in his earlier acquaintance with paul when the youth was under the roof and the surveillance of the practised and wary mrs lobkins deemed it prudent to expose the exact nature of his own pursuits and had contented himself by gradually ripening the mind and the finances of paul into that state when the proposition of a leap from a hedge would not be likely greatly to revolt the person to whom it was made he now thought that time near at hand and filling our hero's glass up to the brim thus artfully addressed him 
courage my friend your narration has given me a sensible pleasure for curse me if it has not strengthened my favourite opinion that everything is for the best if it had not been for the meanness of that pitiful fellow mcgrawler you might still be inspired with the paltry ambition of earning a few shillings a week and vilifying a parcel of poor devils in the what do you call it with a hard name whereas now my good paul i trust i shall be able to open to your genius a new career in which guineas are had for the asking in which you may wear fine clothes and ogle the ladies at ranelagh and when you are tired of glory and liberty paul why you have only to make your bow to an heiress or a widow with a spanking jointure and quit the hum of men like a cincinnatus though paul's perception into the abstruser branches of morals was not very acute and at that time the port wine had considerably confused the few notions he possessed upon the beauty of virtue yet he could not but perceive that mr pepper's insinuated proposition was far from being one which the bench of bishops or a synod of moralists would conscientiously have approved he consequently remained silent and long ned after a pause continued you know my genealogy my good fellow i was the son of lawyer pepper a shrewd old dog but as hot as calcutta and the grandson of sexton pepper a great author who wrote verses on tombstones and kept a stall of religious tracts in carlisle my grandfather the sexton was the best temper of the family for all of us are a little inclined to be hot in the mouth well my fine fellow my father left me his blessing and this devilish good head of hair i lived for some years on my own resources i found it a particularly inconvenient mode of life and of late i have taken to live on the public my father and grandfather did it before me though in a different line tis the pleasantest plan in the world follow my example and your coat shall be as spruce as my own master paul your health but o oh, longest of mortals said paul refilling his glass though the public may allow you to eat your mutton off their backs for a short time they will kick up at last and upset you in your banquet in other words pardon my metaphor dear ned in remembrance of the part i have lately maintained in the asinium that most magnificent and metaphorical of journals in other words the police will nab thee at last and thou wilt have the distinguished fate as thou already hast the distinguishing characteristic of absalom you mean that i shall be hanged said long ned that may or may not be but he who fears death never enjoys life consider paul that though hanging is a bad fate starving is a worse wherefore fill your glass and let us drink to the health of that great donkey the people and may we never want saddles to ride it to the great donkey cried paul tossing off his bumper may your years be as long but i own to you my friend that i cannot enter into your plans and as a token of my resolution i shall drink no more for my eyes already begin to dance in the air and if i listen longer to your resistless eloquence my feet may share the same fate so saying paul rose nor could any entreaty on the part of his entertainer persuade him to resume his seat nay as you will said pepper affecting a nonchalant tone and arranging his cravat before the glass nay as you will ned pepper requires no man's companionship against his liking and if the noble spark of ambition be not in your bosom tis no use spending my breath in blowing at what only existed in my too flattering opinion of your qualities so then you propose to return to mcgrawler the scurvy old cheat and pass the inglorious remainder of your life in the mangling of authors and the murder of grammar 
go my good fellow go scribble again and for ever for magrawa and let him live upon thy brains instead of suffering thy brains to hold cried paul although i may have some scruples which prevent my adoption of that rising line of life you have proposed to me yet you are very much mistaken if you imagine me so spiritless as any longer to subject myself to the frauds of that rascal magrawa no my present intention is to pay my old nurse a visit it appears to me passing strange that though i have left her so many weeks she has never relented enough to track me out which one would think would have been no difficult matter and now you see that i am pretty well off having five guineas and four shillings all my own and she can scarcely think i want her money my heart melts to her and i shall go and ask pardon for my haste pshaw sentimental cried long ned a little alarmed at the thought of paul's gliding from those clutches which he thought had now so firmly closed upon him why you surely don't mean after having once tasted the joys of independence to go back to the boozing can and bear our mother lobkins's drunken tantrums better have stayed with magrawler of the two you mistake me answered paul i mean solely to make it up with her and get her permission to see the world my ultimate intention is to travel right cried ned on the high road and on horseback i hope no my colossus of roads no i am in doubt whether or not i shall enlist in a marching regiment or give me your advice on it i fancy i have a great turn for the stage ever since i saw garrick and richard shall i turn stroller it must be a merry life oh the devil cried ned i myself once did cassio in a barn and every one swore i enacted the drunken scene to perfection but you have no notion what a lamentable life it is to a man of any susceptibility no my friend no there is only one line in all the old plays worthy thy attention toby the highway or not toby that is the question i forget the rest well said our hero answering in the same jocular vein i confess i have the actor's high ambition it is astonishing how my heart beat when richard cried out come bustle bustle yes pepper avaunt a thousand hearts are great within my bosom well well said long ned stretching himself since you are so fond of the play what say you to an excursion thither to-night garrick acts done cried paul done echoed lazily long ned rising with that blase air which distinguishes the matured man of the world from the enthusiastic tyro done and we will adjourn afterwards to the white horse but stay a moment said paul if you remember i owed you a guinea when i last saw you here it is nonsense exclaimed long ned refusing the money nonsense you want the money at present pay me when you are richer nay never be coy about it debts of honour are not paid now as they used to be we lads of the fish lane club have changed all that well well if i must and long ned seeing that paul insisted pocketed the guinea when this delicate matter had been arranged come said pepper come get your hat but bless me i have forgotten one thing what why my fine paul consider the play is a bang-up sort of a place look at your coat and your waistcoat that's all our hero was struck dumb with this argumentum ad hominem but long ned after enjoying his perplexity relieved him of it by telling him that he knew of an honest tradesman who kept a ready-made shop just by the theatre and could fit him out in a moment in fact long ned was as good as his word he carried paul to a tailor who gave him for the sum of thirty shillings half ready money half on credit a green coat with a tarnished gold lace a pair of red inexpressibles and a pepper-and-salt waistcoat 
it is true they were somewhat of the largest for they had once belonged to no less a person than long ned himself but paul did not then regard those niceties of apparel as he was subsequently taught to do by gentleman george a personage hereafter to be introduced to our reader and he went to the theatre as well satisfied with himself as if he had been mr t or the count de our adventurers are now quietly seated in the theatre and we shall not think it necessary to detail the performances they saw or the observations they made long ned was one of those superior beings of the road who would not for the world have condescended to appear anywhere but in the boxes and accordingly the friends procured a couple of places in the dress tier in the next box to the one our adventurers adorned they remarked more especially than the rest of the audience a gentleman and a young lady seated next each other the latter who was about thirteen years old was so uncommonly beautiful that paul despite his dramatic enthusiasm could scarcely divert his eyes from her countenance to the stage her hair of a bright and fair auburn hung in profuse ringlets about her neck shedding a softer shade upon a complexion in which the roses seemed just budding as it were into blush her eyes large blue and rather languishing than brilliant were curtained by the darkest lashes her mouth seemed literally girt with smiles so numberless were the dimples that every time the full ripe dewy lips were parted rose into sight and the enchantment of the dimples was aided by two rows of teeth more dazzling than the richest pearls that ever glittered on a bride but the chief charm of the face was its exceeding and touching air of innocence and girlish softness you might have gazed for ever upon that first unspeakable bloom that all untouched and stainless down which seemed as if a very breath could mar it perhaps the face might have wanted animation but perhaps also it barred from that want an attraction the repose of the features was so soft and gentle that the eye wandered there with the same delight and left it with the same reluctance which it experiences in dwelling on or in quitting those hues which are found to harmonize the most with its vision but while paul was feeding his gaze on this young beauty the keen glances of long ned had found an object no less fascinating in a large gold watch which the gentleman who accompanied the damsel ever and anon brought to his eye as if he were waxing a little weary of the length of the pieces or the lingering progression of time what a beautiful face whispered paul is the face gold then as well as the back whispered long ned in return our hero started frowned and despite the gigantic stature of his comrade told him very angrily to find some other subject for jesting ned in his turn stared but made no reply meanwhile paul though the lady was rather too young to fall in love with began wondering what relationship her companion bore to her though the gentleman altogether was handsome yet his features and the whole character of his face were widely different from those on which paul gazed with such delight he was not seemingly above five-and-forty but his forehead was knit into many a line and furrow and in his eyes the light though searching was more sober and staid than became his years a disagreeable expression played about the mouth and the shape of the face which was long and thin considerably detracted from the prepossessing effect of a handsome aquiline nose fine teeth and a dark manly though sallow complexion there was a mingled air of shrewdness and distraction in the expression of his face he seemed to pay very little attention to the play or to anything about him 
but he testified very considerable alacrity when the play was over in putting her cloak around his young companion and in threading their way through the thick crowd that the boxes were now pouring forth paul and his companion silently and each with very different motives from the other followed them they were now at the door of the theatre a servant stepped forward and informed the gentleman that his carriage was a few paces distant but that it might be some time before it could drive up to the theatre can you walk to the carriage my dear said the gentleman to his young charge and she answering in the affirmative they both left the house preceded by the servant come on said long ned hastily and walking in the same direction which the strangers had taken paul readily agreed they soon overtook the strangers long ned walked the nearest to the gentleman and brushed by him in passing presently a voice cried stop thief and long ned saying to paul shift for yourself run darted from our hero's side into the crowd and vanished in a twinkling before paul could recover his amaze he found himself suddenly seized by the collar he turned abruptly and saw the dark face of the young lady's companion rascal cried the gentleman my watch watch repeated paul bewildered and only for the sake of the young lady refraining from knocking down his arrestor watch ay young man cried a fellow in a great coat who now suddenly appeared on the other side of paul this gentleman's watch please your honour addressing the complainant i be a watch too shall i take up this chap by all means cried the gentleman i would not have lost my watch for twice its value i can swear i saw this fellow's companion snatch it from my fob the thief's gone but we have at least the accomplice i give him in strict charge to you watchman take the consequences if you let him escape the watchman answered sullenly that he did not want to be threatened and he knew how to discharge his duty don't answer me fellow said the gentleman haughtily do as i tell you and after a little colloquy paul found himself suddenly marched off between two tall fellows who looked prodigiously inclined to eat him by this time he had recovered his surprise and dismay he did not want the penetration to see that his companion had really committed the offence for which he was charged and he also foresaw that the circumstance might be attended with disagreeable consequences to himself under all the features of the case he thought that an attempt to escape would not be an imprudent proceeding on his part accordingly after moving a few paces very quietly and very passively he watched his opportunity wrenched himself from the grip of the gentleman on his left and brought the hand thus released against the cheek of the gentleman on his right with so hearty a good will as to cause him to relinquish his hold and retreat several paces towards the areas in a slanting position but that roundabout sort of blow with the left fist is very unfavourable towards the preservation of a firm balance and before paul had recovered sufficiently to make an effectual bolt he was prostrated to the earth by a blow from the other and undamaged watchman which utterly deprived him of his senses and when he recovered those useful possessions which a man may reasonably boast of losing since it is only the minority who have them to lose he found himself stretched on a bench in the watch-house chapter six